0: Hi folks, this is Jack spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. And This is episode 1221 of the Survival Podcast. But it is going to be a TSP Classic episode. We're going all the way back to episode 145. That was February 20th, 2009. This episode is special for a variety of reasons. One, it's Friday, 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 and it's the first Friday I've ever run a TSP Classic on. So I'm going to go back and I'm going to run the first listener call show we ever did. The other thing that's interesting is this was right about the time I was about to start taking sponsors and introduce the member support brigade, and you hear me talking about what TSP could become, and uh, it became all that I envisioned and more. So you actually, this, is, this show is kind of the genesis of modern TSP, where I'm able to do this full-time, dedicate the time that I can to you, bring together a listener ad council, all of the wonderful things we've done over the last five and a half years. This show is where we just got up out of the blocks and made it happen. It also is done from home. It's not in the car, but you'll hear the audio quality is not what it is today because I was using a USB headset at the time. So there's kind of that little thing going on. it. And then there's something so freaking cool. Wait till you hear who made the first ever Survival Podcast listener call. If you didn't read the show notes... I'll just let you hear it for yourself. Um, and maybe you won't know the significance. If you don't know the significance when you hear it, look up who the person is on the forum. And with that... Let me go ahead and take care of our sponsors of the day today and our housekeeping history segment before I bring it on. First of all, sponsor of the day number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. All the things you need to live that tactical lifestyle from Magpul Magazines, Maxpedition Bags, uh, the awesome Manly Titanium Spork. You name it, they got it. SawtoothTactical.com, available at SawTac.com. Next up today, ready-made resources. All the resources you need for your preps, ready-made, ready-to-go, Point, click, and buy on their website, and you can uh, get that stuff shipped to you with great pricing, great service, and lightning fast shipping. ReadyMade Resources is the company that provides what it says it does, does what it says, and says it in their name. ReadyMadeResources.com. Remember, ReadyMade Resources, Sawtooth Tactical, many of our sponsors and a lot of other people do discounts for you in the member support brigade. Before you order from either of our sponsors today, log in and see what special deals they have just for you as members of the Support Brigade. If you'd like to join the Support Brigade for those benefits and others, including our weekly uh, weekend review for MSB members on video only and other great benefits that we have there for you, consider joining. Just go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on Members or the Members Support Brigade banner, and you can see how to sign up either online or by cash check, or we do take silver by mail. If you are military, law enforcement, Peace Corps, active duty, or prior service, or if you are a first responder like an EMT, paramedic, or firefighter, also active due to your prior service, you do qualify for a service discount. Just email me at com with service discount in the subject line, and I will get back to you just as soon as I possibly can uh, with a discount code. A little note right there. If you email me in the next 10 days, you're probably not going to hear back right away, and you might not hear back for a couple days. I am... In Denver, Colorado right now. That's why I'm running reruns all this week and next week. Um, doing uh, the Self-Reliance Expo. I hope to see many of you folks there uh, for the early meet and greets during the day. For my speaking engagement on Saturday afternoon. For the after hours meet and greets. I'm trying to be extremely accessible while I'm there. Um, but uh, I'm, I'm gone. And then I'm on vacation with my beautiful, wonderful, awesome wife for like a week. And while I'm on vacation, I'm not working while I'm on vacation, not because I'm too lazy to work, but because she deserves to have her husband not work for a week and spend time with her. So that's what I'm going to be doing. So I'll answer emails in the evening, critical emails only. Um, This would be a good week to uh, hold off on your your, uh, long emails at least until uh, the week after next. So uh, until next Friday. So let's take a look at the year of the episode, uh, 1221 in this case, and, and not much is going on other than the Mongol advance, uh, to the west. In January of 1221, the Mongol army under Josai uh, captures the city of, uh, Garange, uh, and commits genocide on the inhabitants. Reported contemporary scholars, uh, say that it was over a million people killed in the year 1221. That's, unbelievable if you think about uh, the methods by which uh, you would kill another human being in 1221. There were no machine guns, let's put it to you that way. Um, Genghis Khan eventually enters the Indus Valley in what is modern-day Pakistan. So things are continuing to, the barbarians are now almost at the doorstep, and no one seems to care in the east, or the west, I'm sorry. Uh, Because the Holy Roman Emperor Frederick II is busy founding the University of Padua in Italy, they're building schools while the Mongols are moving in from the east, and uh, that just shows that horrible things can be going on in the world that might affect you someday, and you might not be paying attention. So that's just something to think about as uh, as you uh, prepare for the unknown, whatever that may be. Think of that. Now I want to take you back again. This is uh, February 20th, 2009. The show is right about eight months old at this point. This was originally episode 145. First call-in show ever. And get who the first guest to call in to the show was. Makes it really special. And until I did this, I never realized that this person was the first caller ever into the Think line. Quite fitting. Um, I got an email yesterday from somebody after I suggested that maybe we uh, would set up a members area uh, for members where I would do things like I'll keep the first 50, the most recent 50 shows available on iTunes for for automatic download and what have you, but then I would archive off everything older than 50 episodes but put them in zip files It's actually already been done and make them available only from the members area and try to come up with some other things just for members. These would be some, uh, some videos from me and maybe some things that some audience members might even uh, donate. I know some people have put together PDF documents or things like that, and maybe you would be interested in uh, donating those. Hold on, folks. Uh, I'll be right back. You know, even when you don't mobile podcast, and I could edit that out, but I want to keep things real for you folks and realize that, you know, this isn't a professional radio show. This is a guy uh, that believes in something here, and uh, that was actually the dog's barking. I had to throw him out because they had a guy coming over today that's doing some refacing work on my cabinetry for me, so um, from a local business, i hatching that. So um, anyway, I was saying, uh, you know, that I would put these different things available just to the members, and maybe some of you guys out there that have electronic product would be willing to, that you'd normally sell, would would be willing to donate it for the members area. That would give you some publicity and exposure, Uh, so there's some different things we could do, and I just want to make sure that if I do have a supporting members brigade, which is what I'm thinking about calling it now, uh, that there's something that you get for being part of that that Other people don't. But this guy seemed to be upset and said, I won't listen to you if you charge for what you're doing. And I think, I'm not sure, because I emailed him back and said, do you understand that I'm only talking about creating something additional and letting people voluntarily support the show through that? Or are you upset about that? Or do you think I'm saying I'm going to charge for episodes of the show? And he never answered me. But I don't plan on charging for the show, folks. So uh, please understand that that is uh, not the case at all. And I'm just looking forward to maybe if I can get enough support. And with the number of people that are listening to this show now, if 20% of y'all um, were to support my show at a measly 5 bucks a month, I could pull a lot of my attention away from other things that I do and dedicate five to six hours a day to doing this show. And what I guess what I would point out is I could do more things like I'm doing today, but I could do it with live calls. I could get more guests on, do more interviews. I could make the show better for you, but it's going to take user support, listener support to make that happen. And uh, I mean, if you, I don't mean to like pump up my own show here or anything, but if you think about this, I've built this entire show um, in 30 to 40 minutes a day Uh, with a little bit of research on the Internet and the television set, and throwing it together as I go, doing it off the cuff, an average speed of 60 miles an hour, except when I'm locked up in traffic, dodging traffic, dodging road hazards, and spending maybe 10 minutes splicing it together, uploading it online and then maybe 10 minutes writing the show notes that I write. actually write the show notes after I do the show. And if I can make the show of this cool uh, with that environment, if I could really dedicate more time to it, I think I could do a better job for y'all. So that's the, that's the motivation here to create a, uh, enough of a little revenue stream off of this that it can become a component of my active business life and I can make the show better for you. So hopefully you'll be interested in supporting that. And uh, let's get on with uh, taking some calls. So let's just go ahead and i'm not going to introduce the calls i'm just gonna go ahead and take the calls and then come back and respond to them hey
1: jack
2: this heavy g glad to call in this is a great feature love the podcast here's my question what are some factors to consider when it comes to bugging out or bugging in you've covered this on some shows but like one show with you know the the factors there would be good bugging in bugging out factors Thanks a
1: lot, Jack. Keep it up. Bye-bye.
0: Well, um, let me say first, thanks to Heavy G for all the uh, all the things you've done to help with my show. I know you've uh, been a very active forum member, and I appreciate that a lot. And uh, what you do there is important, and it builds a sense of community, and I want to thank you for that. I also know that you've um, you've posted some reviews on my forum. And then instead of reposting them on other similar forums or other forums or maybe, you know, related topics, you've gone and said, hey, I've posted a review over at, and that shared my show with other people. That was real creative, and it was more than I could have expected. So thanks for that as well. So, yeah, I just want to say thanks and uh, recognize that I've observed what you've been doing and how, how much of a dedicated listener you've been, and, and say thank you. On your question, you're right. I have covered it before, and it looks like you're wanting a whole show on Bug in, Bug out, Factors and that sounds like a great idea, and it's something I definitely will do. I think I've actually done it, but I'll do it again, and maybe I can be a little more specific and, and keep it just on that topic. But I think the simple answer always comes down to it's the same as any survival situation. I'm sitting and I'm looking, and I can either try to climb up a cliff or cross a river. And as I sit there and I look, I look at the cliff and I look at how steep the cliff is, how loose the material is, and I think if I risk climbing the cliff, is there any hope that what's at the top of the cliff is better than what's down here in the river valley? And then I look at the river and I say... How fast is the river moving? How deep is the river? And is there any hope of anything better on the other side of the river? And I have to judge the two things that I have to do. And then my other option is to stay down in the river valley and keep walking down the river. So I've got two ways to bug out there and one way to bug in. Or maybe it is I back away from the riverbank and make a camp and wait for help. And then I have to say, how long is it going to be before help comes? Are the things that I need here going to be available to me, right? So this is this is basic wilderness survival. And you think that wilderness survival and domestic survival in a shit-hit-the-fence scenario are different. But when they get down to the psychology of them, they're really not. So what it always comes down to with bugging in or bugging out is I'm sitting in my house. I'm watching whatever form of unrest is making me uneasy and making me think about bugging out, I have to say, one, what is the propensity for this thing to happen? Two, if I'm going to bug out, do I have a place prepared to bug out? Two, if you do not, then it doesn't make a lot of sense to bug out. It almost makes your choice for you. Three, if I do, how much danger is there right now in me traveling there? What will it do to my life, economically, socially, etc? Is it time to take the risk? And it's really got to be that. So, like, I can't say, well, if it's global, thermal, nuclear, blue bug out. Because I don't think it really matters at that point. We're all done. Unless you have a deep cavern in, in the limestone mines in Kentucky. Um, but let's say it's a threat of pandemic flu. Uh, my instinct right here, if I thought it was a credible threat, it was beginning to grow, and I didn't think it actually had reached us yet, but I thought it would, I would bug out. I think it's, uh, it's something that would cause uh, a real grief around the country, and I'm willing to take the risk of bugging out. If it were, there's riots in Dallas, but it's not like some national unrest, it's some specific thing to Dallas like the L.A. riots were, you know, I'm, 50 miles from Frisco, but I'm 30 miles from Dallas, and uh, unless I started to see kind of the unrest starting to brew around here, I'd probably wait it out, let the National Garden SWAT teams go in and put it down. Now, if there was rioting in North Arlington, and I'm down here in in basically on the Arlington-Mansfield border, and we started to have localized rioting, I'd probably load the stuff up really quick and get out, but in every situation, it comes down to that, which Decision will improve your odds of survival. You have to look at it and make that decision for yourself based on the situation. And the reason it's hard to give a specific answer to any individual is you don't know that individual's capability, uh, from a standpoint of survivalism, from a standpoint of transportation, and you don't know what resources they have in their home or where they're going. A lot of people, you know, have taken the the initiative and gotten a bug out location. But if you don't have any food, water, uh, support, Materials there, you can only carry so much in a pickup truck and a car. So you have to say, is my bug out location stocked? Things like that. But that's what it always comes down to. Think of yourself as you're standing on a riverbank. You can either stay put, go up the cliff, or across the river. How would you make that decision? And make the same type of methodical, logical decision in your daily lives. And you'll generally make the best choice for you. Hey,
2: Jack. This is Mike up in Michigan. Um, I would like to start off first by saying thank you for answering question on air, uh, about my fiance and I, we are living debt free in Michigan, but we're also stuck and broke and unable to find a decent income. Um, I'm not going to say what exactly is, uh, happened here, but I have landed a job in a uh, Southern state and I am getting out and doubled my income. So thank you for your advice on that. Um, uh second comment is you might want to think about spelling out uh the number on one of your shows. Now I get that eight six six sixty five thing, but say if somebody has a Blackberry like I do and they have a QWERTY keyboard, they might forget to look it up later on a standard phone. Third comment, uh survival podcast loot of the week. You did uh believe about two months ago. I have a nominee for that uh, for this week or next week or whenever we start to do that again. A gentleman in Auburn, Michigan, where I live. Auburn is a really small uh, farming community, and it's kind of in the middle of a couple crime-ridden cities, but Auburn's been the safe haven for everybody in the area. And two gentlemen from out of town... Went and picked up some the Airsoft, the BB gun pistols, and took off the orange caps and went to rob this insurance agency. It's a small one, little home run, storefront one. And as they walked in, you know, they, they told the gentleman running it, and I can't think of his name off the top of my head. I'll have to Google it or look it up in the news and let you know at a later date. But they walked into this guy said, give me all your money. And this gentleman happened to be a CCW holder, and he believed they had real pistols. So he pulled out his pistol and he shot one. The other one, of course, dropped his, uh, his, his, his toy pistol and ran like hell. Well, they caught, uh, obviously they caught the one guy because he was lying, bleeding on the floor, and the other guy, they caught him two or three hours later at the bar. And I really wish I could remember his name, but... I, it's not coming to me right now, I'll let you know, but, you know, Americans like that, guys like that, especially in my own hometown, make me proud. And I would like to nominate this guy for the Salute of the Week. That's all I got for you now, Jack. Uh, appreciate the line, appreciate the show. Keep doing what you're doing. stay ya.
0: First on that, let me just say congratulations to you, Mike, on improving your situation. And uh, I really appreciate you calling in with that because I do remember answering your question from an email on the air. And I know sometimes when I'm like, I got this email, and here's what this guy said, and here's what I think he should do. Some people are probably out there going, you know, is this guy really exists or not? Uh, is this guy making things up to talk about? So you can see these are, you know, there's the, if you're out there, folks, and you're a new listener, when you hear hear about what other people are doing, these are real people in real situations. Out there, and um, hopefully they 're figuring out for themselves with a little bit of help here how they can live a better life if times get tough or even if they don 't and things were tough for Mike, and uh, you know Michigan is not the greatest place in the world to be right now from an economic standpoint and if you 're from Michigan, understand there 's a lot of wonderful things about Michigan it 's a proud state with a proud heritage but my uh, my advice to Mike back then was simply. You know, you, you they, the, him and his fiance. I'll tell you the story a little bit of it anyway. Uh, were had managed to get themselves out of debt. They were living in kind of a small apartment or something like that. They're keeping their expenses down, but his income was next to nothing, and uh, ended up laid off or something like that. But their, their income was the, the big problem. And I said, look, I don't mean to tell anybody how to live their life or anything. You, you have to decide for yourself, but make sure you're not typecasting yourself and, and saying that you're stuck in Michigan because you're not stuck. If you choose to stay, then make the best you can of it. But at least consider the option that maybe it's time to go somewhere else. So it sounds like Mike did that. As for the uh, the idiots, they tried to use an airsoft gun, and one got shot and the other got caught. Um, Hell yeah, I mean, that's why you're not, a, you shouldn't be an idiot trying to rob a store at all, but definitely if you're going to do it, not with a plastic gun. And, uh, yeah, I'd like to raise a survival podcast salute to that guy out there, um, uh, who, who took that action. If anybody can track down that story and find a guy's actual name, we'll post a link to the news story on it or what have you, um, that's really cool. And, again, Mike, congratulations to you for improving your situation. And something tells me you're in the Carolinas. I'm not going to say why I think that, but maybe you can call back in and tell me if I'm right or not. Anyway, uh, let's go on to the next
1: call. Hey, Jack. This is Bob, other known as uh, Radio MacGyver, uh, one of your recent uh Recently, new members. Just want to say you're doing a great job. I enjoy listening to just about every aspect of your show. I'm involved in radio communications. Just want to pass along. Uh, if you ever get to the topic, I'd be more than happy to help. And just a couple of tidbits of information. Uh, one of your shows, you talked about those uh, family radio service walkie-talkies. And any claim of them working with the range handy-to-handy of more than a couple miles is all bullshit. That's just advertising hype. There's no such thing as a walkie-talkie that, uh, you know, with half a watt that will reach more than a mile or two at best. And I just want to pass that along. Also, if uh, you're in a survival situation and your cell phone doesn't seem to work as far as placing a voice call, try text messaging. Text messaging uses less bandwidth. Uh, some reviews of uh, emergencies that went on, including the 911 situation, uh, they mentioned that text messaging, people were able to get the message through rather than trying to make voice calls. But anyway, uh, oh, by the way, thanks for mentioning in yesterday's show, Providence, Rhode Island. It's a little state, and I was born and raised there. But I got a kick out of you mentioning that as far as, uh, you know, one of the state major metropolitan areas up in the northeast. A lot of people forget about us. But uh, Radio MacGyver here signing off. I want to keep it short. Uh Keep up the great work, and uh, get in touch with me if I can help you with anything. Bye.
0: Well, Bob, thank you for a great call, really. That's, uh, that's very useful, because I, I've seen these uh, these handy radios in uh, Academy and all these other stores. I see some 18 miles, 25 miles, up to 30 miles, and I'm thinking, yeah, well, the curvature of the earth would limit line of sight to about 15 uh, maybe if you had some good skip off a heavy clouded day and uh, lightning struck you in the ass end, uh, maybe you'd get a little more range. I was wondering just basically how much range you could get out of them. Uh, so one to two miles is kind of what I was thinking. You've saved me from, you know, maybe buying a few different models and testing myself. Uh, thanks for confirming my my thoughts there. I appreciate that. And uh, I do think that maybe that type of communication device still has a, a function or a usage, but it's probably better for homestead use for um you know if you have 5 or 6 acres or 10 or 20 acres for communication with people around the uh, the compound so to speak is probably the best place for things like that i do know a lot of people i usually hunt alone um hopefully i'll be uh able to hunt more and have some hunting buddies in the future a lot of hunters use them Um, not so much so nobody gets lost but more for hey um, I'm gonna push some deer to your direction or hey let's head back in for the night or or what have you so that seems like a good use for those and maybe not much more on your other uh, suggestion about text messaging I think that's a great idea and uh, something I probably should have pointed out before and I'll add to it a little bit I carry a BlackBerry And I've had my battery get down to one red bar of battery. And when it's like that, if I try to make a phone call, the battery's too dead. It will not go through. But yet the display will stay on. It may shut off, but I can turn it back on. I'm sure everybody's had a phone in that situation where it'll come on, but it can't make a call. You just can't get a call out. And if you're in a survival situation like that with a BlackBerry, what they can add to text messaging is I can generally send text email from my BlackBerry, even when the power is too weak to let me make a call. And I've also been in situations where I can't get enough signal to get a reliable voice call, but I also can send email. So if you have a phone that does email, you may be able to use that instead of straight texting as well uh, to get out communications. The other thing about an email with a BlackBerry-like device or a Blackjack or any of these smartphones is if you send an email in one of them and right now your phone can't get it through, and it just sits there kind of in a a limbo outbox mode, as soon as there's enough signal to get it out, it'll go. And that's really useful, too, because you may be sitting there trying to call, trying to call, trying to call. You're killing your phone, where if you have that kind of in-queue email, and you move to a point where you get just enough signal for it to go out, your message will get to whoever you're trying to get it to. So uh, thanks for that. Also, uh, Bob, I I really am interested in having quite a few shows about um, radio communications. I know there's a lot of interest in ham. It's not something I've done or have any ham equipment or anything or any other aspects of radio communication. So I think you and there's some others that have volunteered to do that. I would love to do some interview format shows in the future. I don't have kind of the uh the uh, the, the just the lifestyle bandwidth to do it right now. But again that's why I'm doing the supporting members drive and seeing if we can't turn enough revenue out of this show to uh to, to to make it where I can do more creative things like that. Um, so I do appreciate the uh, offer, and I'll try to avail myself of it and get you on with the listeners. As far as Providence, Providence is a great town. It's, uh, it's a shame that a lot of the politics that have been played in that town, like so many northeastern cities, but uh, it was a place I really enjoyed visiting back when I used to travel the northeast and uh, of all the airports up in that area, Providence Airport, probably to this day is still the nicest airport to fly in and out of. It's easy to park, easy to fly. And if you're going to go to New England, folks, don't fly to Logan. Uh, to put it in the words of one of my former sales reps from Logan Airport, Logan blows. You're better, I don't care if you're closer to the uh, New Hampshire or Vermont if you're going up there uh, in Logan. You're better off driving from Providence, I promise you. So again, thanks, Bob. Let's go ahead and take our next call. Hey, Jack. I'm interested in hearing about shipping containers used at a homestead or a bug-out location. Thanks. All right, well that's a nice, brief, uh, specific question there. One thing I can say, folks, uh, when you call in, it's kind of helpful if you give your name. Um, if you don't want to tell me specifically who you are, give away any, you know, really specific details. That's fine. Like if you don't even want to say what state you're calling from or whatever, that's cool. But maybe just this Bob or Tom or Frank or Sue or Henry or Debbie or whatever. Uh, and as I continue, uh, let me apologize if any of this uh, background noise is coming through here as this guy beats on my cab, and it's, uh, I've got the sound backed off. It's I can for you, but I just want to go ahead and roll through the show and get it wrapped up. Anyway, on the subject of a shipping containers, something I've actually looked into quite a bit, and uh, I think there's a lot of potential there, and there's really two ways I see to use them. And just to be specific, when this guy's talking about shipping containers, he's talking about the great big giant ones that they put on ships that come over and are lifted off of the crane and maybe go on the back of a semi-truck, all right? Um, generally eight foot wide, but as much as 30 to 40 feet long. Solid steel, very, very sturdy. Wood floors built Get into them there's actually entire businesses now that are set up around building houses out of them. And, and one thing about uh, these things, and when they build a house out of them, they cut the sides out of them and make them a lot wider, and they don't look anything like a trailer when they're done. They're actually custom-built homes, and they're quite beautiful. Uh, if you live in a weather, you know, a dangerous weather area for tornadoes or uh, hurricanes, it's about as solid as a structure as you can build. And they, they mount these things down onto a concrete foundation that goes down into the ground, and I think they could probably withstand about anything uh, from a standpoint of tornadoes or or things like that. So there's an advantage there. When you look at the cost of construction, though, I don't know unless you're really handy and can do a lot of the construction yourself and use them as a shell if you're going to save that much money. Uh, To put doors in them and whatnot, they take a torch obviously to cut, so you have to be able to weld and uh, cut metal and cut steel. And if you want to put two of them together, you're into the same situation. It's a lot of welding. There are companies that will do it for you. If you just buy one Best I can tell in most parts of the country right now, there's so many of them, they're dirt cheap, and that's why people are turning to them. And if you just want to buy one, have it delivered, and say put it there, and they just dump it someplace for you, um, that's right now running about three to $5,000, depending on where you live. And actually, the closer you live to a big urban area, the cheaper it is because there's less distance involved. There's probably a port somewhere with a bunch of these sitting there, and that would be for one that's been used, but not excessively. It's not all messed up. It's, it's in good shape. The doors work and everything. I think the best potential in using them on a bug-out location would be in the following order. One, you have a well-defined bug-out location, and you're looking for an additional structure on it to use for storage and things like that. I think they're absolutely outstanding, and one of of smaller models in the 20-foot range may be perfect for that. Um, I heard, I've heard of people burying them. You really need to think about what you're doing if you bury them because um, they're steel. They'll rust eventually in time. Uh, so that's something else that definitely has to be considered. And I guess the... Uh, uh, another thought on that is they're actually a steel box. that get very, very hot in the sun, but there are thermal paint coatings that can be sprayed on them that will actually give them an R factor over 20, which an R 20 or higher is, is about as good as most homes in America from an insulation standpoint, and you can do that just with paint. Uh, the problem with, let's say, adding thickness to the walls, if you do it on the inside, they're only 8 feet wide. So unless you're splicing them together, if you're putting up an internal wall with additional insulation, If you put six inches on each side, you've just taken your eight-foot wide, which is pretty narrow of a place to to kind of reside in, and made it seven feet. So you you really need to think about that. If you do an outer shell, well, you might as well just built an outer shell. So they have limitations, but they definitely have some really uh, advantages from a survival situation. Uh, Another way that you might use one is to get one of these things, have a concrete foundation poured, use it as a storage facility, and make it a tornado shelter if you live in a tornado-prone area. Uh, I think if you're in there and if it's, if it's attached to a foundation the right way, you are as safe as you could be anywhere. So, so those are some really cool ways. Now, another thing that you might do with one of these is plan to use it like that in the future for storage or an extra compound building. But maybe you go out and you find that little piece of land that we talk about lots of times, and on that little piece of land what you do is, uh, you just put that container for the time being. Maybe you bring out a generator set, you cut some windows into it, maybe you put it somewhere where it's shaded so it doesn't get beat on by the heat so much, have some fans and things like that. Maybe it's basically your camping shelter for you while you're fixing up your homestead and getting ready to put a structure for living on it. If you want to build a, a complete house out of them, I, I don't really fault that. I think it's a great thing to do. It's a great use of something that's in massive surplus right now, but the problem is always going to be Going to come down to if you're going to do that. It's, you know, you're looking at costs. And are you looking at it because if I build a steel constructed home, it's more durable, it's more sturdy, it's going to last forever, and I'm willing to spend the same amount of money I would to build any other type of home. If that's the case, then maybe it's the way to go. If you're thinking I could save a bunch of money, from what I've looked at thus far, you're not going to save a bunch of money doing this. If you needed, let's say you built a home and you used three of them, well, you're at twelve grand for the shell, and then there's all the work that goes into things like plumbing and electrical and interior and all those other things, you're still going to have to pay for it. Just like a house, so can you come and then you gotta paint it with this thermal paint, which isn't super expensive, but it isn't cheap. So, could you come away from this with a low cost house? Build a house that's really nice for sixty or seventy thousand dollars. Yeah, there's probably other ways to do that as well. It wouldn't be as sturdy, but if you're gonna keep the construction costs that low, you're probably gonna to have to be the real handy kind of person that can do things for yourself. If you're gonna bring contractors in and all. Um, it's not a money saving thing. It's a decision based on. You know, one, environmentalism. There's so many of these damn things laying around right now, and it's partly because the economy's weak, but it's also really more about how much we import to this country versus how much we export. So what the Chinese and the Taiwanese and all have done, it just simply said, oh, when we're going to ship this stuff, there's a container in the price point. So they're just basically shipping the containers and, and leaving them because it costs them more to ship an empty container back, fill it up, and do it again, than to just get a new container especially with our buying now declining. So in places like Newark, San Francisco, New Orleans, all the ports, Seattle, all over the country right now, there's stacks and stacks and miles and miles of these things. So there's, there's potential there. Just don't think, oh, this is going to be a super cheap way to do things, because honestly, if you just want a place with all the comforts of home and you're not worried about a tornado tearing you apart or maybe somebody hooking your house up and dragging it away, it's going to be more cost-effective to find out. Use travel trailer in decent shape, and use that as kind of your camping location. And then the you know the disadvantage is it's not as sturdy. The advantage is it has everything you already need: electricity, plumbing, etc. Um, at least it maybe doesn't have electricity, but an electrical system to plug power into. Uh, so that's all there, and it's mobile. It's certainly not as sturdy or as durable. So those are kind of my overall thoughts. It's something I'd like to do an entire show on as well someday, and maybe get, maybe if we get to a full record and start bringing guests on, bring a guest on to discuss that. So thanks for the call. Great question.
2: I just had a quick question on storage of uh, medicine
0: like uh, Advil or acetaminophen or isophenol. Any of that stuff. I'm wondering about how you can go about sewing it and if it'll go bad chemically or if you can like vacuum pack it and save it for later or fast trace or anything like that. Thank you. That's another great question, and that is uh, the guy that called twice. So this is the one of your questions that I've decided to ask today, and I'll, I'll let everybody know that that call comes from the Alaskan interior. Uh, that's how far we're reaching with this show, just within the United States alone. Anyway, um, whenever you store anything, I don't care if it's food, I don't care if it's medications, I don't care what it is, if it's perishable, if it has a shelf life, um, your biggest enemies are uh, temperature, specifically in most instances heat, unless you're talking extreme cold, temperature and oxygen. So your question is, will it matter if I vacuum seal it? Uh, The answer is it will matter, and yes, it will extend the storage life. Um, I don't believe that when I look at a bottle of Motrin and it says that, you know, I buy it today and it says that it will expire on uh, 2010, that it really expires. I think that uh, pharmaceutical companies, specifically over-counter stuff, is uh, required to place expiration dates on them. Now, there are some things that are highly perishable. Uh, If you're diabetic, you know that insulin has to be stored in a very specific way, uh, what have you. There's also oral insulin, and i well throw this in. If you are a diabetic and you rely on injected insulin, oral insulin is probably not really an option for you for day-to-day life, but it might be something to discuss with your doctor about having some on hand in case you end up into an incidence where it's your only option. I'm not sure if that works or not. I'm not a doctor. Uh, but, yeah, Uh, Your best thing you can do is vacuum pack, things like that. And if I had a choice, and this is my personal choice, you have to make your own personal choice. Again, I'm not a doctor here, but between uh, suffering through some really bad leg cramps and leg pains uh, or eating a a couple Motrin to deal with that situation when I really don't have the time to deal with it uh, that happened to be five years old but they were vacuum sealed and not kept in a uh, boiling hot location, uh, I think I would go ahead and take them. And I don't think I would have any fear. And if, if I'm wrong about that, somebody please write in or call in and let me know, and I'll make the correction. Uh, But I think that that definitely would extend the life of that. And I also want to point something out to you guys. Uh, I'm not a big believer in Motrin, ibuprofen, Advil, any of the medications, other than when they're necessary. But I will tell you this, when you are going to really exert yourself hard, or if you've gotten a sunburn, okay? And as like I say, if you plan to get a sunburn, because you shouldn't plan to get a sunburn. If you, if you have already gotten a sunburn or you are going to exert yourself real hard, taking a couple Motrin will go a long way toward reducing your uh, your discomfort. Uh, especially when you're in that state where you're, you're sunburned but it doesn't hurt yet, it just happened, and you know that a couple hours from now it's going to start to set in and be painful, um, that's the time to take some Motrin. When it comes to exerting yourself really hard, if you're going to go elk hunting or something like that, or like the other day I went out and I built another raised bed and I knew it was going to be tough because the ground was tough and all, and I took a couple of Motrin not after but before, uh, and it improves your recovery time, so it's something you could use in a survival situation. And the other thing that I'll tell you, and most people just don't realize this, is that large amounts of vitamin C, I'm talking 500, to 1,500 milligrams of vitamin C prior to physical activity, and again, at the end of physical activity, uh, will go a long way toward reducing muscle pains and muscle cramps as well. And I learned about this kind of a strange way. We had this old Britney Spaniel hunting dog uh, that when he got to about 11 was just so sore after we took him hunting, um, he, he, we couldn't take him anymore. We read an article in Outdoor Life magazine about giving dogs vitamin C. Uh, there were older dogs that were getting sore prior to hunting and one when we came back. And we gave him uh, 500 milligram vitamin C in the morning, took him hunting, brought him home, gave him 500 milligrams of vitamin C. He was a different dog. Now, we could only hunt him maybe once a week. We could hunt him as hard as when he was a pup, but it extended his hunting career. And for the dog, it was important, folks. Trust me, this was a dog. If you pulled the gun out of the gun cabinet at midnight to, to wipe it down and clean it because you were watching late-night TV, and we're looking for something to do, he started barking and running for the door. This dog wanted to hunt. He lived for it. Uh, so I thought, well, if it works for dogs, will it work for people? And I've tried it, and it's something you can try for yourself. Uh, again, anytime you're going to be doing a lot of muscular exertion, long walks, hiking, vitamin C and a couple Advil in the morning, and then at the end of it, maybe the Advil, maybe not, but definitely the vitamin C again. So, uh, and, again, you can extend the life of that vitamin C the same way for long-term storage with vacuum packing and keeping the temperatures from getting too high.
2: Yeah, Jack, um, I know you enjoy gardening and what have you, but what are your thoughts on uh, using worms, like the red worms in your compost or feeding your kitchen scraps to the worms and using the worm teas? Is that more trouble than what it's worth, or is that uh, compost on steroids, or just what are your thoughts on it? I appreciate it, and I appreciate the show, too, Jack, uh, big time. Thank you very much.
0: Well, um, let me say first thank you for listening, and thank you for calling in. I appreciate the participation, and I appreciate the question. I just talked about this recently, but it, it does bear repeating. Constantly, when it comes to uh, to gardening and specifically organic gardening, and remember, folks, I think that if you're not producing some of your own food, you really have a problem in that no matter how much food you store, you're going to eventually run out if you get in a situation where you can't procure more through normal channels. And if you're trying to cut the budget, then producing some of your own food cuts the grocery budget. So it's good all around it too. But we want to do it organically, and we want to do it organically not because we're trying to save the planet, though that's a noble goal. But I don't think you're your garden will save the planet by itself. And I don't think if you use a little miracle grow, you're going to destroy the planet. But if you can get your garden as close to 100% organic as possible and get the ecosystem flowing, so to speak, you'll have better results. And that's why I organic garden. I don't organic garden because I have a, a, a extreme, terrifying phobia of high nitrogen fertilizer. And I don't do it because I know that the high nitrogen fertilizer that they're fertilizing the corn to make biofuel with actually comes from that. Gas. I do it because it works better. And if you look at farm soil that's been heavily fertilized for years, and it's still producing, but they have to fertilize the hell out of it to get anywhere with it, it generally has this brown color, so this light tan brown color. And you pick it up and you feel it and you think, without moisture, this is dust. And the only thing that keeps moisture in it is that when it rains and the bottom side gets wet, the top forms like a shell. Right? We've all seen soil like that where you took it push the top down and it's kind of hard and it cracks and then the undersoil is moist and it looks better but it's just darker but it's that tan brown color you know what I mean. When you organically garden you end up with this rich deep black soil and what I'll try to do for the members area of it is one of the first videos maybe is what I'll show you is what my new raised bed looks like in the first season with this great compost and all this great material but before it has a season to break down and be used and be infiltrated by the animals and the, the, the worm and the little creatures and everything like that, uh, and then show you what one that's a year old looks like and then show you what one that's two seasons old looks like and what the difference is, and it's all because of the worms more than anything else. So my view on the worms is they should be used everywhere. There's nothing wrong with throwing, especially there's some red wigglers that are specifically, uh, they, they, they deal well with heat, And there's nothing wrong with throwing half a pound of red wigglers straight into your compost heap. Um, They won't go to the center where it's boiling hot during the composting action, but they'll work around it. You'll end up with a mixture of worm-provided compost, and naturally-provided compost, and you won't really have to do anything or take care of your worms. So that's a great way to use them. The other thing you want to do is you want to encourage them to be in your garden. You have to do that by continuously adding organic matter to your garden, be it compost or anything else. One of the great things you can add to your garden, it's a very mild organic matter organic matter that can be added any time is coffee grinds, and you don't really need to even mix them into the soil, simply mixing or sprinkling them on the top of your beds uh, frequently is a great way to do that, and you don't have to even, I mean, you should save your own coffee grinds, but you're not, if you, like me, you drink a pot of coffee a day, it doesn't add up to very much, you go through a can, you know, in a month. But if you go by Starbucks, they'll give you a giant bag of coffee grinds for free. And you can go get more anytime you want. And a lot of times you'll go in and they don't have any put out or anything. You ask them, they'll have a big bag, we'll do it for you right now. And uh, I add that both to the compost bin and to the the bed, and worms eat that. And if you want to attract worms to your soil, you need moisture, uh, and you need organic matter for them to feed upon. They need moisture, correct temperature conditions, and food. And if you do that, the worms will come. When you talk about like vermicomposting, where you're actually doing composting with worms where you do it with a bin. I just described this in a show the other day, so I won't get too deep into it. But basically, you need two bins one with holes in the bottom so your worms don't get too wet, and another one for that to sit in so that all the goo that comes out of there, they call it worm tea, uh, that comes down in there, you can harvest that because one, you don't want it going all over your house, and you're generally better off doing this inside because if you put it outside, you may cook your worms, and cooked worms are maybe make good compost people, but anybody that's Ever left a can of Nightcrawlers in the car for too long on a fishing trip knows there's few things in the world that stink worse than worms that die from heat. So you've you got to think about where you're keeping them. Now, the good thing is if you do worm composting in your house, it doesn't stink, it doesn't smell bad. Do not feed them anything meat, no meat products, no meat, no bone, nothing. All uh, tea bags, any vegetable matter, things like that. A pound of worms will go through about a pound of waste. In a week or less. I've heard people say a pound a day. I've never seen a pound of worms eat a pound in a day haven't seen it. I've seen them do a pound in a week, though. So if you're going to keep worms in your home, you have to make sure you have enough food for that. Here's the good news. Let's say you put a big worm colony to work in a bin or even one of those black ones that they sell with multiple levels. And those things look pretty cool and let the worms just decide where they want to go. And honestly, I may buy one of them this year and try it out uh, and let you know my thoughts on it. I think they're worth the 100 bucks they charge for them, and uh, they'll do a good job. They have a nozzle. They'll let that worm tea out of the bottom and what have you. And that's great for uh, fertilizer as well. But let's say you get to a point where you realize, hey, um, I'm just not providing uh, my... uh," and that's not the end music yet, folks. That's the uh, background. Anyway... um, You may get to a point where you realize, I'm not providing them enough food. They're eating the food faster than I can provide it for them. Well, then take part of your population, release it into your garden, or release it into your outdoor compost pile, and uh, let them continue to reproduce. The the big thing you're looking for is worm castings, which are worm poop um, from your worm composting. And you add that to your soil as you please. Um, You can... Over fertilize with that with crops like peppers that if they get too much nitrogen, what'll happen with them is they may shed their peppers and just get huge bushes. Uh, so be careful with how much you add to pepper beds and even greens like lettuces and things sometimes will kind of pig out on nitrogen if you overdo it. So be a little bit careful there, but it's a pretty, I mean, unless you're talking a ton of it, it's a pretty, uh, a pretty gentle fertilizer. You can pretty much use it for anything and it'll improve any soil. So to me, worms are great, but it's not just about worm composting. It's about encouraging the activity of in your soil where you're growing actively. That's the best thing you can do. Now, the beauty of throwing those worm castings in there is inside of those worm castings are also thousands and millions of little worm eggs. So you'll be doing both at the same time. So I think it's a great way to uh, to compost. It's something you should really look at doing if you're serious about organic gardening. But well, that's the last call we're going to take today, folks, and I think it's all my voice has in it. But I want to wrap up with uh, two things. One, I did not ignore Mike when he suggested that when I give out the call-in number, if you want to call in, that I give the numbers. i have just selected to do that here at the end. And the number, again, is 866-665-THINK, 866 think And uh, if you're on a BlackBerry or something, that's 866-658-4465. Again, 866-658-4465. Uh, the last thing I wanted to... Uh, to end with today, though, is yesterday I posted a video uh, that came out prior to the election of pre- uh, now-President Barack Obama, then Senator Obama, uh, ha- having some children sing for him. And I also got on a guy for anti-Semitic so comments. More about that in a second as I wrap up here. But somebody got really upset and said I'm being very partisan, and maybe I'm being too partisan. Uh, folks, I-, I hope you understand that partisan would mean that I'm saying, let's get the Republicans back into office. Uh, when Bush was president, I beat up on him plenty. And now that Barack Obama is president, I will beat up on plenty. Him on plenty. That is that is not partisan. That is independent, and that is where all my political views come from from on the show. When a president does something good, I'll say it's good. When a president does something bad, I'll say it's bad. Same with a congressman. Same with a senator. That's what I'm saying. These 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 house uh, state house representatives that are violating state sovereignty bills. They're doing something good, so let's pat them on the back. And when they do something stupid, I'm going to beat them up. And if you think that's partisan, I really can't help you. And and I hope that most of my listeners understand the difference between that. And what he said is, you you know, you get on a show and you talk about, you know, deleting anti-Semitic comments, and then you post a video that equates Barack Obama to Hitler. And I'm thinking, did you watch the freaking video? And the guy's name on the forum is Some Dumb Guy. All right, so Some Dumb Guy, not my words, your own. Did you watch the video? The video doesn't make any accusations about Obama. They took an actual video of children singing praises to Barack Obama, which chills up your spine if you listen to it. And this freak, Kathy Swatter, that put it together, should be just deported from the United States, in my opinion. I'm all for free speech, but there's a point at which you you go beyond what is acceptable and what you're willing to allow government to do. And when you're taking children and you're exploiting them for political advantage, which is what was going on here... um, You know, I I guess I really wouldn't... I I believe in free speech too much to throw Kathy Swann out of the country, but uh, I wouldn't cry a tear if somebody else did it, I guess. Um, But the video drew comparisons to the Hitler Youth singing praises to Hitler. And what I think the person who put that video together was doing was saying that these people... Around the video, the ones that produced it were as fanatical as the people that allowed somebody like Hitler to take so much control of Germany. That's not about Obama. Obama had nothing to do with that video, but it tells us about the people that are Kool-Aid drinkers and their support of him. And I did not appreciate Kool-Aid drinkers from George Bush either. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to look for there's a video of um, a uh, like a Christian summer camp for kids where they have an effigy of bush and children praying for him and I found that just as equally distasteful. I don't know if I'll get it into today's show notes, but I'll find that video, and I'll put that video up, too. I want to prove to you guys I'm not partisan. I don't like any of this nonsensical crap. I'm tired of faith going out in our government. I have faith in the American people. I have faith in you, my audience, uh, and I'd like to thank you for all the support you've given to the show. Uh, on the uh, anti-Semitic thing, I want to say this right here at the end. Uh, the guy that I deleted three comments from yesterday came back today, made two more comments. Uh, one was actually legitimate comments about the uh, far policy of Israel but I know who you are now and I know what you represent now do not listen to my show do not comment on my blog you are not welcome here you will never be welcome here you and your kind are what are destroying the world There's plenty that can be said wrong about Israeli foreign policy. There's plenty that can be said wrong, honestly, about the concept of Zionism. And there's a lot of uh, rabbis that have come out against Zionism. But when you start speaking about people because of their religious beliefs, it's being derogatory simply because they have a belief. People that have never done anything wrong to you. You are the ilk that gave rise to things like the Nazis in the past. And you are not welcome here, and you will never be welcome here. Everybody else is always welcome here again. Thank you for supporting the show. This has been Jack Spierka with a different kind of survival podcast. I hope you enjoyed it today. And here we are again helping you figure out how to live a better life if times get tough or even if they don't.
2: you can scream and you can holler, it really doesn't matter because it all gets spent.